Hey team, it's Matt Drinkon here. And you might have heard, my brand new book releases on Amazon on March 8th. It's been a labor of love that I think can really help you navigate some of the challenges you're experiencing in your own life. I go over toxic positivity and how to think you're in it for everyone else. In reality, you're in it for yourself. And I express that through this entire book and help learn from our own mistakes and how to turn the lens on ourselves and ask good questions. So go to Amazon on March 8th and you can get the Kindle version for only 99 cents. Just search for the book title, The Eternal Optimist. It's never too late. And you can download it directly to your device. That's it for me. Let's get into today's episode. Greetings, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the show this week. This is the Eternal Optimist Podcast, and I am your host, Matt Drinkon, and it is a sincere pleasure and honor to serve you by bringing stories of hope and inspiration with the mindset that you can do it too. Thanks so much for being here today, friends. I appreciate you. So let's dive right in here today. Our guest today is the founder and CEO of the Speaker Lab, Mr. Grant Baldwin. He's helped thousands of people build successful, sustainable speaking businesses. Over the past 15 years, Grant has become a sought-after speaker, podcaster, author, accomplished entrepreneur. He's been featured on the Inc. 5000 list. He's been in Forbes, Entrepreneur Magazine, The Huffington Post, amid many others. He's committed his expertise and his insight to equip others to share their meaningful message with the masses. So. He lives in Nashville. He's got a phenomenal wife of 20 years and three daughters. And overall, he's amazing. Here are some things that we highlight in the episode today. He talks about some of the biggest challenges he's faced live, real time, being a speaker on stage. He talks about the things that he's done to help grow and develop and evolve his amazing marriage and the relationships with his daughters. He talks about, and I'm winking at you here, he does share a story of how he was held in a St. Lucian prison and they gave him food for a week in that prison. Very interesting story there. He also talks about how he deals with challenges. Now he views things as pieces in a puzzle and they all work together to make this masterful journey of life. He's got some amazing insight and he's got a very quick wit. So I introduce you to my dear friend, Mr. Grant Baldwin. Enjoy friends. Hello, and welcome to the Eternal Optimist Podcast, the show for optimists by optimists. This is the show for people who see the good in the world and want to make a positive difference in the lives of their families and communities. Each week, you'll hear inspiring stories that will get you thinking bigger and playing more offense in life. With your host and high-performance coach, Matt Drinkon. And with that, let the pressure begin for world-famous speaker and dear friend of mine, Mr. Grant Baldwin. How are you today, Grant? Oh, Matthew, I, I feel so much pressure and nerves coming into this. This is going to be a blast, though. I'm, I'm really looking forward to this one. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be fun. Let's start off with something really fun. What is the hardest, most embarrassing, challenging moment for you as a professional speaker on a stage? 
Give us some goods. Yeah, I've had some weird things that have happened. And so uh, the majority of my career, I'm sure we, we may talk about is I've been in the speaking industry, was a full-time speaker for many years, have done hundreds and hundreds of gigs. And so some of them go really, really well. And you finish and you get off stage and you're like, that was fun. Let's just, why can't they all be like that? And then there are some that are just bizarre and weird things happen. So I'll give you an example. One time I, was, I, I did a lot in the education space. So speaking to high school students. And so I remember doing one time, I was doing a school assembly and this was like the Friday before spring break. And so the only thing standing between these students and spring break is me and nobody wants to be there. Right. Oh, Great. Great and job so, booking that one. Yeah, Perfect totally. Time. And so I remember in the middle of the assembly, like they come over the PA and make this announcement of like, Hey, the volleyball team, the girls volleyball team is now dismissed to go to your game. Right. So then at that point you've got, yeah, I don't know, 20, 30, 40 girls from all over just getting up and leaving. So at that point, like nobody's really paying attention. Everybody's watching everybody, you know, a bunch of people leave. There's hundreds and hundreds of students in this gym. So that's happening. Well, at that point, like you also have enough teenage dudes who are kind of being silly who are just like, I wonder if I could just sneak out with the girls. So then you've got like dozens of teenage guys standing up and leaving, you know, and the principals and the kind of the administration and teachers are kind of like, they shouldn't be leaving. And you know, that sort of thing. And I'm just standing there with the microphone. I'm just like, what do you do? You know, and how do you like regroup there? So, you know, something like that happened. I remember one time I was speaking at an event in a hotel in New Jersey and in the middle of it, they're doing some construction outside of the, of the hotel. And the power was cut to the entire property. The whole hotel uh, is a big Hilton property had no power whatsoever. And so you just kind of like, all right, what do you do at this point? So I remember I was doing a workshop later and I told the event planner, I was like, Hey, I'm, I'm good to go. Um, it was going to be for, I don't know, maybe a hundred people or something. And so I remember I had everybody turn on the flashlight on their phone and just kind of hold up just to give us a little bit of like ambient light. It was an interior room. There's no exterior light whatsoever. So it was pitch black in there. And I'm just going to like, yell and project and everybody's going to hold a light. Uh, I remember one time speaking at a, some event and I remember there was a dog that came running into the room and this dog just comes zipping around, running all over the room. There's, I don't know, hundreds of people in there. And like, at that point, nobody's paying attention. Nobody has could care less about what you had to say. There's just, everybody's distracted by the dog. So like those type of things that happen that are just like outside of your control, random situations, but you know, that, that's part of uh, the speaker life, I guess. Well, somehow you figured out a way to be immune to that or to figure out a way to, to get through it. And this is something that a lot of people would say is like the biggest fear imaginable is public speaking. And you've made a career of it and you're really good at it. And for someone who is, is a professional, how how do you like in that moment when all the, the high school girls start getting up and the dudes start sneaking out and you can see that the attention is waning and, yeah. and the challenge is happening? What's going through your mind at that moment? It seems like a real moment of of fear or something's totally. happening yeah. like what's what's happening well like when, when something in the room happens just in general one of the things you're trying to quickly assess is how big of a distraction is this like at what point do i need to say something what's some, you know because there is sometimes where like there's some little distraction but it's only affecting like a few people or a very small part of the room and there's really no sense in calling it out because by calling it out you bring everybody's attention to it and everybody's distracted by it but if it's some, the type of thing where like it's clear you know that everybody's distracted. Like you have to call it out. It's kind of this elephant in the room. And so when that happens, I think one of the things that I learned is with speaking is that 
those type of moments are really good opportunities to connect with an audience, to endear yourself to an audience, and just kind of like, again, kind of roll with it. So I like when sometimes those types of things happen, where it feels like this real, raw, unscripted, natural, this crazy thing that just happened in the moment, because it starts to feel like one of those things like, oh, you had to be there. Like, it was just a really cool, you know, it was funny, weird, awkward, whatever it may be. And so, yeah, I think you, you just kind of learn to, to roll with it. You make a joke about it, you point something out about it, and you move on. And like that, that's part of it. That's Those are also things that not every speech, not every presentation, not every whatever the thing is that you do is going to go smooth. You know, you're, you're with this podcast, there's going to be some interviews and episodes, you're just like, dang, that went really well. And some are just like, that just felt clunky for whatever reason. And one thing that's also, I think, important whenever I'm working with speakers is when a speech doesn't go well, there's three different variables and factors that go into it. And so you have to kind of assess each one of these. Okay. So one of them is going to be you. Did you show up prepared? Were you ready? Were you rested? Did you bring your best? Did you rehearse and go over your content? Do you feel like, no, I absolutely 100% brought my A game? Or were you kind of going through the motions, phoning it in, you know, that sort of thing? And like, it didn't go well, but it's on you, you know? So one is you, you're a big variable and factor. Another is going to be the audience. And so, you know, like I mentioned, the, the you have a bunch of students who are getting up and leaving. And so that kind of creates a weird dynamic. Or, or imagine, for example, let's say I was getting ready to speak to a group of sales reps. And right before I get up, there's the VP of sales and he gets up there and he says, hey, bad news. COVID has really caused a lot of issues. The economy is starting to really affect us. And unfortunately, we're going to have to lay off 20% of you. But we're going to talk about that later. For now, please welcome to the stage our speaker, Grant Ball. It's like, it doesn't matter what I say, the audience is not paying attention, right? So the audience is a big factor. And the third variable and factor is going to be the environment. So let me give an example. I remember a couple of years ago, I was speaking at an event and there's about 2000 people there. And I was in a room that was set up for about 2000 people. So I do a keynote, 2000 people room for set for 2000 people. It goes great. Right afterwards, they had me do a workshop for about 50, hundred people in the same room for 2000 people. So when you're speaking to a group of 2000 people in a room that seats 2000 people, it works really well. When you're speaking to a group of a hundred people in a room that seats 2000 people, it's dead. It's completely horrible. And so the environment is a really, really big factor as well. So there's sometimes where you're like, dang, I really felt like I brought my best, but but something about the environment or something about the audience or something else happened. Now, it's not a cop-out, but you have to be aware of what are the things as a speaker that you can control? What are the things that you can't control? Well, hey, knowing that that exact example of, of 2,000 room and now you got 100 people in the workshop, uh, is there any pre-framing you might say as you start the speech? Hey, guys, there's 100 of us in this room where there's 2,000 a minute ago and it may feel a little bit different or blah, blah, blah. I mean, did you somehow pre-frame them somehow? Yeah, what you want to do in those type of situations is you want the room to be as small as possible, okay? And so what you actually want is for a room to feel too crowded because especially as a speaker, energy excitement, laughter is contagious. And so the more spread out people are, the more opportunities there are for just just dead energy and things to kind of fall apart. So I'll give you another example. I remember a couple of years ago speaking at something and I got to the event and I'm, I'm kind of looking through like the room set up and there's just wall to wall chairs. And I'm talking with the event planner and they're like, I'm so sorry. You know, like we're even like pushing fire code here. And I was like, no, no, that's a good thing. Like you want a room that feels full. You want a room that feels packed. And so in that type of situation where you have 2000 seats and you got a hundred people in there, 
part of my responsibility as a speaker is to make the room as small as possible. So you don't want people sitting on the back row. You just say, hey, everybody come on in. Everybody scoot up. You can only sit on the first three rows or whatever it is, or let's just move chairs around and let's make it as small as possible. And so that by, by doing that, again, you're, you're removing a lot of kind of the external other chairs and kind of distractions and you're making that. Now, ideally, what would happen is you, you connect with the event planner, decision maker, or like the MC ahead of time and ask them to kind of help with some of that. So you don't have to be the bad guy of like, all right, now I'm going to hop up. And before I get into my little dog and pony show, I need everyone to get up and move around. So you want them to, to ideally be the one. So sometimes I'll, if we're in a situation where it feels like it may not be that full of a room, I'll ask them, hey, before you kind of go through the introduction, could you just have everybody move up? Or, you know, even as people are coming in, like, let's just block off the last, you know, X number of rows there to make it feel as small as possible. And so, yeah, you want you want rooms that are, are too small versus something that, that's too big. Okay. Got it. Quick side story here. I feel that this, this is something I should share with you. I was given a speech three years ago at a real estate luncheon. There's 125 people there. I'm two minutes and 45 seconds in. I feel like for me, I'm prepared. I got my timing down. So that's why I know it's 2.45 in. Telling a story from Atomic Habits, James Clear's book, chapter one, talking about aggregation of marginal gains. And I have this stutter moment where the word aggregation comes out, and I say it three times, and then I go deer at headlights for a moment. I've I've only had that happen to me two times in speaking career. I don't have a career in speaking, but I've spoken a few times, and, and that happened. And in that moment, I thought, so this is what it feels like to go blank in, in the yeah. middle of a speech. Yeah. And I pr- appreciated that feeling because I'm looking for a thrill in some way. I don't get that type of feeling that often. So it was actually a really cool feeling. So I said to the audience after an eternity, which was really three seconds, I said, so just take a, take a quick snapshot here, team. This is what it looks like when the speaker has a deer in headlights moment. <laughs> Isn't that fun? Totally. And then went back into the moment yep, and I yep. think they laughed and, and, and kept them with me. But I, I wanted to share that with you because you've probably had that moment when you go kind of a deer in headlights and forget when that happens to you, how do you, or it probably doesn't happen anymore, but if it ever did happen in the past, how did you deal with that? Yeah. One thing I think it's important to remember as speakers, and again, whether you're doing, you know, hundreds of presentations or you're giving your first presentation is you are a human talking to a collection of other humans. And so act like a human. So one of the things I don't like, and I think this is the case with a lot of audiences, is if you've seen a speaker before where it's very robotic and it's very formulaic and you can tell they're so deep in their own head and they are just regurgitating the script. And then I take five steps over here and I do this with my hands and it's just like way over scripted and way over polished. And so if I'm in the middle of a story and I just, I just have a brain fart, I just lose my train of thought, which has absolutely happened. There have been multiple times I can think of where I'll talk to someone on the front row and just be like, Hey, what was I even talking about? I I literally <laughs> lost my train of thought, you know, and it just like breaks the tension. It breaks the ice because again, you're, you're a human. You've had a brain fart. We've all had that happen before. And so again, when, when that type of moment happens, I think it's one of those raw, real experiences where you, you had to be there, just kind of this fun thing. And so like, I think poking fun at yourself or calling out like, man, you just totally flubbed something or you just made a mistake or you just like, or like, let's say you tell a joke and it's just not funny. It just doesn't work. Like call that out. And just being like, boy, that was, 
it was way more funny when I was talking to my dog about it, you know, or you know, what, what, like just calling out, like, I thought this was gonna be funny. Nobody laughed and like, call it out and move on. So exactly what you described there, Matt, of just going like, you know, this is what it looks like when a speaker is deer in the headlights. Everybody, it breaks the ice, it breaks the tension, everybody laughs, you can get back on track and move on. Let's go to the question I love to ask everyone. And we kind of already started with what was hard in the speaking career when you've been on stage and had a had a snafu or a challenge. But I'd love to go to just use any any time period from your life from now going backwards to 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 youth, just anything that has resonated over time that was a real hard challenge for you. I'd love for you to share that with us, Grant, and what you may have learned and how you overcame it. Yeah, I mean, I, here, here's here's how I generally view you know things that have not gone right or have, have gone poorly. Again, some of it's you know inside my control, some of it's outside of my control. But I've always a thousand percent felt like I would not change anything that's happened in life because everything that has happened has led up to this moment and. I'm incredibly, incredibly grateful for where I'm at in my life, with my marriage, with my kids, with my business, with my health. Like it, it's, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm not perfect by any means, but I feel like I'm checking a lot of boxes right now and just feel really, really, really grateful and thankful for where I'm at. So that said, I was trying to think through some things that have been kind of pivotal moments that have not gone so well. You know, one thing that, that, really had a big impact on me was when I was in eighth grade, my parents got a divorce. And so that was pretty profound. At the time, I didn't really know, didn't really know anybody whose parents were divorced. And I knew like, I knew my parents would fight from time to time, but I, I never really felt like, oh yeah, this is, there's no way they're going to make this work. You know, I, I just kind of assumed like, yeah, they're, you know, they fight, but it, I think, you know, all couples or parents fight. And, and so I yeah, vividly remember my, my parents sitting down with my brother and sister and I and told us they, that my dad was moving out and they were splitting up. And just like, dang, like that sucks, you know? And so it happened, the same type of thing happened with my wife and, and her parents. And so my wife and I don't, we absolutely don't have a, a perfect marriage by any means, but we've been married for, for 20 years, been together 25 years. And we have a really great marriage, a really, really strong marriage. And I think a big part of that is what her and I lived through as children and just going like, that seemed to suck in a lot of different ways from a, a child perspective. And also just like seeing, you know, our parents and what happened post-divorce and kind of how they tried to find their way and that new identity. And so I think that for us, we're just like, Hey, we're in this, like, we want to make this work. We're in this for the long haul. And so, yeah, that was definitely a, a, a pivotal moment for life that had a big impact then and continues to have a, a ripple effect today of, you know, my wife and I being super intentional on, on working hard on our marriage. I think what I'm impressed about the most about your answer is that you framed it with every single challenge in your life, everything that could be deemed hard has led me to where I am right now. It's all part of the journey. And that journey has brought us to where we are right now, where there are a number of things you're very grateful for. And I just, I'm inspired by all those, those combination of words because I, I, attempt to coach people to get to that place where they can view this as an opportunity or as part of the puzzle that helps create the masterpiece. And you live that. So I just, I'm grateful to hear you say that, that others are, are feeling that way, Grant. So just congratulations, my friend. I appreciate that. But I mean, like when we talk about like being an eternal optimist, like I legit feel like that. Now, again, that doesn't mean that you just stick your head in the sand and that you're naive about life or you're conditions or situations like there's times where like crap happens and you're just like okay we got to figure this out we got to you know fix this or resolve this or do better or whatever whatever needs to happen but i i just i tend to live life way more in the the windshield and the rearview mirror knowing like 
yesterday was fine, but there's nothing, there's absolutely nothing I can do about yesterday. And there's nothing I can do to change my parents' divorce. There's nothing I can do about mistakes that I've made as a husband or as a dad or as an entrepreneur or a business owner or an employer. And like, it's just like, there's no sense in dwelling over that. What is there something I can learn? Sure. But like, let's learn that and move on with life and think about what are the things that you can control today, tomorrow, and into the future, rather than like dwelling on something like, I don't know, just dwelling on it, just, it's not going to change the situation or the circumstance whatsoever. Yeah, 100% agree. And, and you would kind of take me to a place where I share what is the definition of eternal optimism. And I would share that optimism by itself is simply seeing the positive in the moment and seeing the positive in things as they unfold. But there might be a rose-colored glasses to it. And there might be a, a place where you try to shy away from or not you know, see the reality of the challenge. I'd say eternal optimism is you know, seeing the positive in the moment, it's also taking all the challenges that come at us and being able to learn from them and use whatever the, the challenge is as that teacher to get to that next place. You know, so it's learning and it's seeing the positive in the moment. And I feel that everything you've just shared embodies that to the T. You know, so cheers to you, my friend, for for feeling that way. And also for congratulations on on your marriage for 20 years. That's fantastic. Well, and I, you know, I, I try to, to be intentional on, on taking my daughters on dates. And, and so the other day, our 16 year old and I were, were out on a date. And a big thing that I really try to impart to them is like, your life can be whatever you want it to be, but it is a thousand percent up to you to make it happen. Don't depend on mom or dad. Don't depend on a relationship. Don't depend on a job. Don't depend on the government. Like your life is up to you. And so I, I was like, listen, I have a great life. I would not trade life. And I'm telling my, my daughter, this is like, I have a great life, but it's not because like I'm anything special or I was born with a silver spoon or I have anything that you don't have. Like I'm really, really intentional about determining like what kind of life I want to have and building that life there and saying like, listen, our family has a great life. Mom, your mom and I have a great marriage, not because of anything that we've been blessed with, but because like we are really intentional. And so you can have a great marriage. You can have a great life. You can have a great career. You can have fill in the blank. But it's up to you to make it happen. And so don't wait on someone else to solve your problems. Don't wait on someone else to fix things for you. Like it's le legitimately like that personal responsibility is so critically important at any age or stage of life. I wonder when you say you've said the word intentional a few times, and I love the way you use that word. I wonder when you say intentional, how might that show up for you in a, maybe a daily or a, some kind of habit or recurring mindset that you might use to your advantage? What does that mean to you, intentional? Yeah. And so I'll give you a, kind of a, a big picture, like on our family, like one of the things that we really value is we really value like freedom and flexibility and autonomy. And so it's like, okay, in order to, to uh, for that to play out, like what, what does that mean? What does that look like? And so a couple things like one, like being, I've, I've been an entrepreneur pretty much my entire career. So I, I have not had an outside paycheck for I think 18, 19 years at this point. And so knowing like, okay, if I'm my own boss, and again, not everybody needs to be their own boss by any means, but knowing like, that's probably going to give me some more options, freedom, flexibility, autonomy, that sort of thing. And so being intentional going like, okay, let's, you know, let's build our career in that way. My wife started homeschooling our daughters about 10 years ago. And that is a, a big commitment. And it's a ton of work. And so there are days where you're just like, man, it'd be so much simpler. We just drop them off at school. And then like you and I can go on lunch dates and, you know, we could like, that would be so much simpler at times, but knowing that, that by doing homeschool, it gives us options and freedom and flexibility. So for example, you know, we are recording this at the end of August. School has just started back up for the majority of the country. And on Monday, in just a couple of days, we leave to go to California and Hawaii for two weeks. And everybody else is in school and kind of doing that thing. We're like, 
when everybody else goes back to school, let's travel, let's go somewhere, you know, and we'll do a little bit of school and do some, like we're, you know, we, I was talking with my oldest daughter, like we're going to Pearl Harbor and it's one thing to like read about Pearl Harbor. It's another thing to go there and experience it and learn about it. And so just like building the life with intentionality of like, what, what do you want life to look like? And then how do you take steps in that direction? If you want to travel, if you want to have a better relationship with your partner or with your kids, like what are the steps that you need to do? I'll give you another example. I started the beginning of the year of feeling like I was in okay shape, but I knew that I needed to do something different. Like you, Matt, you and I aren't getting any younger, right? And like we 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 are beautiful to our wives, but that's about the extent of it. And going like, all right, we got we got to take better care of ourselves. And so, what does that look like going forward? And so, I hired a health coach at the beginning of the year. I was like, man, I need to lose some weight, and I just need to to get more in shape and pay more attention to to my health. So, like being super intentional with the decisions I'm making around food and exercise. And I have a bad sweet tooth, and so I can put away sugar with the best of them and just going like, okay, I got to, con- I got to control that. Like that's, that's, that worked when I was 20. It doesn't work when I'm 40. And so do we fast forward to today and I'm down like over 30 pounds for the year. I'm some of the best shape I've been in in years. I continually have people that are just like, boy, you, you've lost, like you look lean and like, you look like you put it together. I spent two hours this morning playing pickleball. I play pickleball multiple times a week and just burning calorie and getting some competition in. And so just saying like, like Okay, recognizing like you need to get in shape. Like, all right, that's great. We all probably need to get in shape a little bit, but then then what? You know, just recognizing it or realizing it does absolutely nothing for you. Reading a book, watching YouTube videos, having a conversation changes nothing. So at that point, then you've got to be intentional about okay, what's that end result that I want to have? And what are the steps that I need to be taking in order to get there? And and again, it's not it's not rocket science, but you you have to then implement, you have to actually apply what steps you need to take in order to get to that end result. Excellent. Yeah, I, I did uh, I did notice you look sharp. You, I'm looking forward to seeing how that relates to the uh, your golf swing. Well, let's stick to the topic of intentionality and the concept of learning. You know, And as someone who is intentional, I wonder, is there intentionality around a specific topic or a skill, something that you're working on learning right now, Grant? Yeah, and so as a speaker, I was on planes all the time. I was always traveling and I I've always thought it'd be cool to get my pilot's license. And it's just kind of like one of those like bucket list things. You know, we, you and I were at a retreat almost a year ago where we, we, made a dream list. And I put down on there, like, get, get your pilot's license. I, I just always thought that'd be cool. I have zero practical need for it or reason for it. There's no business need for it. I was just like, it'd be kind of cool. You know, been on a lot of planes, like what's it like up there? How are they getting us around there? And how do they get us back on the ground? And and so a couple months ago, I started taking flying lessons. And boy, I tell you what, when, when you are like, a fish out of water and going like, there's so much happening and there's so many knobs and dials and you're just trying to like soak everything up and you just feel like you're drinking from a fire hose, like just learning from scratch and going, I, I don't, I don't know anything about this stuff. I've never been up here, but teach me all. And like, it's been a, a, a fun, fascinating, frustrating process of going, I feel like I'm back in kindergarten, just learning all this different stuff about how to fly a plane. And so when you we start taking flying lessons, basically what happens is I go a couple times a week and go for like a, an hour and a half or so, and I'll go up with my flight instructor and we'll work on different things. And so part of, of working toward getting your license is you you do a, a solo flight, meaning you you there's he gets out and you go up by yourself. And so about two weeks ago, I had my very first solo flight, and meaning like. I fly around, 
I land, I do it again, take off, fly around, land. And I was just like, holy crap, there's nobody else in this plane with me. You know, you're just kind of having that surreal moment looking around. My wife and daughters, I told them, I was like, hey, I'm getting closer to like where he's going to have me do this. And it's, it's, in order to get you, like in order to pass your, what's called a check ride for to get your license, like you have to have so many solo hours. So I knew this, this was coming up and my wife was like, I do not want to know about it. Uh, when you do it, just tell me after the fact. But yeah, when, when, when he gets out of the cockpit there and I'm just sitting there by myself, like, okay, man, let's, this is it. You know? So I felt comfortable. I felt confident. All the, the training and the preparation had led up to that knowing like you, like, you know what to do, like just execute on that, but still just feeling like we're, you know, a thousand feet in the air and we got to get this thing, this piece of machinery back on the ground there. And it went really, really smooth. But the point being like, just this learning process over the past couple of months of going like, I know squat about this, but I'm, I'm starting at scratch and I want to learn. So it's been a, it's been quite the process. Wow. What an amazing feeling it must be to learn something from scratch that you have no knowledge of totally. and to be up there on your own, flying this thousands of pounds machinery, mm -hmm. a thousand feet in the air solo. And a month or two before that, you had no idea. Totally. Uh, zero, wow. like zero clue. Yeah. And there's still like, there's a ton to learn and a ton more, but I was looking at like, you, you, you track like your, your hours and your there's different things that you track with each flight. And so I was looking yesterday and I'm at 123 landings. And so I've, I've been taking lessons for a couple months now and probably done, I don't know, probably 15 lessons or so. And a lot of times like we're doing what's called just flying in a pattern. And so you take off and you do kind of a lap around the airport and then you land, you just do touch and goes. My, my wife and daughters call them up downs. Dad's just going up, down, up, down, up, down. So you take off, land, take off, land over and over and over. And you're just practicing getting that muscle memory, getting that repetition, getting more comfortable with it. But yeah, it's still just like, boy, there's a lot going on here. And this is a a lot to like soak in and adjust for and figure out. But I mean, seriously, it's been a, a really, really fun process of like starting from scratch on something and learning and trying to get better at it. Amazing. Today's episode is sponsored by the Eternal Optimist Podcast. Yes, that is it, ladies and gentlemen. We are sponsoring ourselves, shamelessly plugging for you to listen and to continue listening and to always listen to the Eternal Optimist Podcast, brought to you by the Eternal Optimist Podcast. Make it a great day. Back to the action. Well, let's keep moving here in the journey to the future. And I'm curious, running a company, serving people in the speaking world, serving your family and having family members getting ready to maybe go to college or be out of the yep, house yep. at some point. I, I wonder what inspires you or what you're creating in the future. Yeah. So a couple thoughts come to mind. One is one thing when I, when I was speaking full time and even now with our, within our company, one thing I tell our team all the time is that who you are is more important than what you do. Who you are is more important than what you do. Meaning, I love being an entrepreneur. I love being a speaker. I love being a podcaster. I love being a business owner. I love being an employer. I love all these things. But my most important roles are being a good husband and being a good father. So if I'm a great entrepreneur, if I make a difference for all of our team members, if I make a difference for all these people that I may speak to as a speaker, but if I drop the ball as a husband or as a dad, I've really screwed up. And so... What does the future look like? Well, the, the most important things are continuing to be like, just crush it as a dad, crush it as a husband. You know, my wife had a vote. She had a choice and somehow I tricked her into locking into a lifetime contract with me. So she's stuck with me. But my girls, like 
they, they didn't get a vote. They just came out and like, Hey, it's me. I'm your dad. You're stuck with me. You know? And so I, I feel like it's my responsibility to be the best possible parent. And I have like, I have great parents. My wife has great parents, but like, I want, I, I got one shot to be a dad to these girls. And so I want to be on to do amazing in that, which I know is like, you know, a big part of what you and I resonated over and bonded over is, you know, we're, we're a part of a group of guys who, yeah, we care about business and yeah, we care about like making money and doing that sort of thing. But like, we do not want to do that at the detriment of our roles as dads and as, as husbands. So that's a big part is like, how do I continue to be a great husband and a good and a great father to my girls beyond that? As far as like the future, I really enjoy what we do within a, our, our companies called the speaker lab. And so we teach people the business of speaking. How do you find and book paid speaking engagements and share your message and make an impact with it? I really enjoy the work that we're doing, the impact that we're making, the, how the team is growing. We have, we have about 30 people on our, within our company now. And I, one thing that, was kind of an epiphany to me a couple of years ago is, um, is I really want to create the best possible place that someone will ever work. And so in fact, right before this recording, we had hired a few people last week. And so with every new team member, I do like a, an orientation, just like pouring the Kool-Aid on them of like, Hey, here's our culture. Here's our history. Here's how we operate. Here's how we think. And so I, you know, I was telling these two new team members, I said, I want this to be the best place that you ever work. And there's a good chance in your careers, you will do other things. You probably won't be here forever. But while you're here, I want to make it really hard for you to leave. And I don't mean that in a manipulative way at all. Meaning though, you're both talented, amazing, sharp people, and you have no shortage of options. You could work for other companies. You could start your own thing. You could do any number of things. But I never want you to feel like, ah, oh, this sucks or I don't like it. Like there's going to be days that are stressful and tough. That, like that's just part of it. But as a general rule, I want you to feel like this is a great work environment. I know that the work I'm doing matters. I know that I'm cared for. I know that these people genuinely appreciate me. I want this to be an amazing work environment and the best place that you will ever work. I want to set the bar high for anything that you ever do in terms of your career for the rest of your life. And so I just, I enjoy that. Like that's super, super rewarding for me. There was a team member who told me recently, he said, this is the first job that I've had where I haven't been thinking about my next job or I haven't been looking for my next job, you know? And like, that's the case with some people like I'm into one thing and I'm already thinking about the next thing, but he's like, I don't, I don't want to go anywhere. Like I want to be here. I, there's another guy who told me, he said, my wife will never let me leave here because she said, being here has made me a better husband, a better father. I'm more present. I'm less stressed. Like I love what I'm doing here. And so she's like, she's telling him, it's like, you can never leave. You have to work at the speaker lab forever because you're a better person because of it. I was like, that's awesome. Like, so how do we continue to grow, to create that environment, to allow other team members to have that type of opportunity? So that's the type of stuff that gets me excited for the, for the future. Man, all of those things, where do you even start? So exciting to hear these things. I love the way you frame it with your people when they first start, that I want this to be this way and I want you to have this experience. And so many CEOs and leaders don't do that. So I love the way that you set the tone with your teammates. I love to go back to the intentionality. The first things you hammered home, be the best husband I can be, be the best father I can be. You know, and when you're intentionally creating that in this stage, and this is your first time in this stage of your marriage, you've never been married for 21 years. This is your first second or third decade of marriage. And this is your first time having kids going forward that age. So I wonder what the intentionality and what you're creating, what is, what is the best version of husband and father? What does that look like moving forward? 
Yeah, one one big aha that I had from this group that you and I are, are part of, Front Row Dads, was uh, when I uh, attended my first retreat about a year ago. They were talking about the idea of a of a board meeting, and this concept was just like I, I spend a lot of one on one time with the girls and collectively as a family, but like really taking it a little bit further and 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 having what we came up with that we call three D days, and so this stands for Daddy Daughter Date days. All right. So 3D days. So each quarter I do a 3D day with each girl and we take probably a half day or so. And and it's just like, Hey, whatever you want to do, wherever you want to go, whatever you want to try, like I, dad's in for it. Let's do it. And a time of just like so much more than just like, Hey, let's just, I need to run. I need to run to target. You want to come with me? But a time of like, Hey, we're going to go out. We're going to do a date. We're going to have a ton of fun. And it's just the two of us. And so for example, I just did this about a week ago. Our, my oldest daughter and I, I said, all right, we got a 3D day coming up. What, what should we do? And she's like, I've always wanted to try ballroom dancing. I was like, huh, all right, I'm in, let's do it. I, like, I have zero dancing ability and zero rhythm, but like, I'm, I'm, you want to do ballroom dancing? I'm in for ballroom dancing. And so last week, her and I did a private ballroom dancing lesson for a while. And then we went to dinner, went to get ice cream and, and walked around just talking and like just had a blast. And so like just the intentionality with those relationships one thing we started years ago is so when I was speaking full time, I was traveling all over and the girls were still pretty little. And I told my wife, I was like, I really want to take the girls on. I'm traveling. I'd love to take one of them on a trip sometime, but they're still pretty young. And so, and it had to be like, if I was going somewhere, if I'm on stage, I can't be like also babysitting. So it's got to be something where, you know, I, I can kind of keep an eye on them. And I know like, I'm not going to be on stage too long. It's got to be a cool place. You know, like they don't want to tag along if I was going to North Dakota or something. But I remember finally talking my wife into it. I had a gig in Florida. And so our oldest daughter is 16 now. She was eight at the time. And I said, I re- let's, I want to take her to this gig in Florida. And so I brought her along and we, we dubbed it the eight is great trip. And it was so much fun. You know, I did, I did one speaking gig, but then like we hung out at the beach and we went out to eat and just the two of us hanging out. And so then the other girls were like, well, when's my trip? Well, do I get an eight is great trip? I want to, I want to do this. And then my wife's like, well, I want to get on this too. And so what we do now, and we started this from that first trip eight years ago is every year, each of our girls, we do a one-on-one trip with, and we just rotate parents. And so this year, In 2022, I did a one-on-one trip with our youngest, and my wife did a one-on-one trip with our middle daughter. And then since our oldest is 16, all three of us, my wife and I will do a trip with her. And so this year, my youngest and I, we did, we went to Orlando a couple months ago and we just did, we did a water park one day and we did Disney one day and just the two of us. And so it is a blast. It's like, where do you, there's no... Like when it's just the two of us, there's no democracy. There's no like, okay, you know, this kid wants to eat here and this kid's not hungry and this kid wants to do this ride. It's like, no, no. What do you want to do? What ride? What do you, should we get ice cream in? Let's get ice cream again. And like just the two of us, it is an absolute blast. And so our oldest who's 16, she, she said, Hey, I've never been skiing. I'd love to go skiing. And like, all right, let's plan a ski trip. And so just the three of us are going skiing. So it's, it's, it's been so much fun to do these one-on-one trips with the girls and they're just short trips, like, like two night trips, three night trips. And it's nothing, you know, super extravagant or anything, but it's just like, Hey, this is a trip that I will never forget that they will never forget. And now we fast forward, you know, eight years, we can look back and like, Oh, you remember, remember a few years ago when just you and I did that thing to there, or now, like, since I had the, since next year will be a trip for my middle daughter and I, her and I already start talking about what should we do next year? Just us. So where are we going to go and what do we want to do? And you know, what do we want to see? And, oh, this would be kind of cool. Or, oh, it'd be fun. We should go there. And like, you know, whatever it is like those, that type of intentionality with 
building those relationships with them, having those experiences, those memories with them is something we've, we've tried really, really hard to be intentional with. That's that's so great. That's a great answer. I love to hear that you've adopted the board meeting and evolved it and continue to build on it and love to hear that. We've we've done the same thing. That was maybe one of the biggest benefits of of joining the Front Row Dads is learning that that structure of consistent one-on-one time through the board meeting. And I was just sharing with someone a couple of days ago that so far since I learned it in October 2019, I've had now, I think we're at 39 uh, board meetings overall between the three daughters. So about like 12 or 13 each. And it's been amazing what we can get to the conversations and how deep we can go like that one-on-one. And I didn't know about that before as a parent. I thought we could all do everything as a family all the time and build those connections. But the one-on-one time is it's amazing. It's and, and like, you know, we I do a, a 3D day with each girl and we do a trip with each kid, you know, so it's not like one's being left out. It's like, no, you're like, your turn's coming. And so I'm going ballroom dancing with her. So what, like you and I, what <laughs> should we do? And so it, yeah, it's just a, it's a ton of fun to, to have those just one-on-one experiences with the girls. And I know that it's super impactful for me and, and hopefully it's been the same for them. I wonder how you might keep the same intentionality towards marriage and towards your wife. Because I can speak from experience that being married now for this will be nine years coming up soon and having a seven, five and four year old daughter that we have put a lot of energy and focus into our children. And sometimes that is at the expense of our one on one time. I wonder after 20 years, you know, what insights you have or where you're intentional with your wife. Yeah. So a couple of things we do kind of similar things is like, we're really intentional on our dates. And so we do a date every single week. We usually do it Sunday afternoon after church. And so we take the girls home, drop them off. And thankfully they're at an age where they're, you know, we don't necessarily need a babysitter, but all right, mom, dad, or we're going to lunch. You know, And sometimes it's like a lot of times, actually, we just like, we go to lunch and we'll just go run some errands, but we just enjoy being together. There's times where a couple of weeks ago we went ax throwing and just like, uh, oh, okay. when actually I had a, um, there was a, we were working with a, a marriage coach and she had suggested this idea of each of you come up, like you and your spouse, each come up with a list of 10 things that you think would be really, really fun for a date. Okay. 10 things that you think would be fun for a date and then exchange those lists. And so I now have her list. And so next time I'm thinking through like, I think it'd be kind of fun to go throw axes, which she, I don't know, but like I have a list. And so I see it on the list of like, Oh, axe throwing is on, on her list. So when I want to surprise her or schedule a date or something like she, this is on her list. And so it removes kind of the guesswork for me of what, what might be good. So anyway, so we do, we do a weekly date and then we also like to do trips. And so, you know, sometimes it's just maybe just a, a quick one or two night thing. We try to do one or two longer trips for, you know, a week or so. And so we have a trip coming up in mid October. We're doing a cruise, just the two of us. And so I tell the girls all the time, I was like, listen, at some point you're going to move out and I want mom to still like me. And so uh, it's really important for me to continue to, you know, be a good husband to her. And I also recognize one of the best ways that I can be a good dad is to be a good husband to their mom. And so how I treat her uh, and I tell the girls all the time, like you girls are so lucky to have the mom that you do. You didn't get a vote. You didn't get a choice, but like mom is amazing. Mom is smart. Mom is funny. Mom educates you. She did, she takes the time to homeschool you. She's beautiful. Like mom is amazing. And so I know that uh, that's one of the best possible things that I can do to be uh, a good dad to them is I never want them to question. Like, I think my dad likes my mom. Like, no, no, I, they know beyond a shadow of a doubt, like their dad is crazy about their mom. And so I think like that also just reinforces the secureness that they can feel in like their parents' relationship and in the, and that their parents genuinely love each other. 
I just love your modeling for your daughters. When I hear you speak, the thing that comes to mind is I hear your modeling for your daughters, how they can be treated by their partner. So rather than you have to tolerate or accept any kind of anything less than, no, this is this is the way that you should be treated. You deserve to be treated with, with love, with respect. I love the way that you've engineered that. And that's totally authentic to you. I just love your bylines. You're so congruent sharing the story. And it if I may, I'd love to go back in time just a little bit. I remember that there was a Facebook post uh, at some point, and I want to say it was either in January, February, maybe a year and a half ago, January, February, you went on a trip out of the country, and then you had trouble getting back into the country for some reason. Could you elaborate a little bit on this story uh, before we wrap up? I'd love, love to hear that from you. Yeah. And so back in February, my wife and I celebrated our 20th anniversary. And so we, we tried to do a trip for our anniversary each year. So we were kind of a couple months prior. So about a year ago, we're kind of thinking through like, all right, February's coming up. It's our 20th. I mean, it's our 20th. We got to do something big, right? And so we we reached out to this, this travel agent we worked with, and she recommended this really nice property in St. Lucia in the Caribbean. And it was uh, going to cost an arm and a leg, but we were like, it's our 20th. Let's do it. And so we we, we set aside some cash and, and like, all right, we're doing it. And so we went there. We were there for, I don't know, a week or so. And this was, you know, again, back in February at the time, you know, there were still, I mean, there's still some today, but there's quite a few COVID restrictions about just internet, especially international travel. And so we had to do a, we had to provide a negative test prior to the trip to get into St. Lucia. And then you needed a negative test to get back into the United States. And so we'd done a little bit of international travel. We'd taken the kids to Mexico and Dominican Republic a time or two. And so we'd done a little bit of travel and kind of knew what the song and dance was. So we get down there, we have a great week. I've kind of had like this like runny nose and a little bit of a cough all week while we're down there. And I was like, man, I don't know, maybe it's just the climate change or something. You're going from February cold in the US down to St. Lucia and it's hot. And so I don't, you know, maybe that's all it is. And so the day before we're supposed to come back, we go do a quick little, you know, the the shove the clean the 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 Q-tip up your nose there. And the they come in a couple hours later, it's like the the hotel manager. She's got a mask on and and she says, Hey, can I can I can I come in and talk to you? And like, yeah, come on in. It's a small little property, so didn't really think anything of it. And she's got an envelope, and she's like, you know, talks to my wife, and she's like, hey, you know, you you passed your exam, you passed your test, and she looks at me, and she's like, you you failed. And I was like, really? Are you sure? Today's episode is sponsored by the Eternal Optimist Podcast. Yes, that is it, ladies and gentlemen. We are sponsoring ourselves, shamelessly plugging for you to listen and to continue listening and to always listen to the Eternal Optimist Podcast, brought to you by the Eternal Optimist Podcast. Make it a great day. Back to the action. Huh. <laughs> like, and at that point, I mean, this is again, we're a couple years into COVID. I'd never tested positive. And I I felt fine. You know, I kind of had a little bit of a cough, but didn't think anything of it. And she said, you can take another test um, the next day, but if that comes back positive, then it starts a mandatory quarantine. And so every country is different. Every country had kind of their own rules. And so the way St. Lucia was set up at the time was that once you have two positive tests, then it starts a, a seven day mandatory quarantine. And so you can keep testing every day. It does not make any difference because they're, they're not letting you go anywhere. And so it was a, my, my wife still teases me about it. Cause she's, she, this, this hotel manager was telling me this and I just felt like completely shell shocked. And she's like, I've just never seen you that quiet. Cause I, I think I'm used to being able to, I can kind of talk myself into things or out of things and kind of like charm my way through something. And I was just like, 
holy crap, you're really not going to let me leave. And I was like, so what are my options? And so they, they had to move me to a different room. And so my the next day, like my wife is scheduled to fly home. She flies home. Coincidentally, she gets home. She was feeling sick the whole travel day. She tested positive when she got home. And so oh, if you know, if we'd both tested positive and they required us both to be gone, to stay there, one would probably would have killed each other for another week or so. But then also like being away from the kids for an additional week, you know, just kind of how that kind of throws things up in the air. So yeah, it was uh, for that next week. Then I was stuck in a hotel room. I didn't get any sympathy because you're like, oh, but you're in St. Lucia. But I legit could not leave the room, could not go anywhere. Everything was room service. And like, granted, like there are much worse places to be stuck and worse environments could have been way worse. But like, just kind of made make do with it and roll with it. And I remember I was gone over Valentine's Day. And so yeah, I remember they brought me like some chocolate covered strawberries, FaceTime with the girls, and you know, it's just kind of like it was one of those funny things where you're like, oh dang, this sucks. But again, I think it kind of goes back to like, there's nothing you can do about it. You know, I tested positive. I can't get out of this. I got to stay in this country for an extra week. My wife can go home. Let's roll with it. We make the best of it. And so I would FaceTime with the girls each morning, FaceTime with the girls at night. I'd work during the day. And I was like, well, I mean, my wife left. So vacation is over. It's back to work, man. And I had a full full week of, of calls. It was the week of the Super Bowl. I remember just staying up watching the Super Bowl on my, my little iPad. And you know, you just, you just make it work. And now like fast forward, like, it's not the end of the world. It's a funny story. And that time I got, I kept joking. Like I was trapped in a St. Lucian prison where they would not let me leave and they had to bring food to me. And, but like, yeah, it was just kind of, kind of funny little thing. And like, that's, that's part of life, you know? So yeah, that was the, uh, that was the time I got trapped in St. Lucia held against my will. In the, in the prison. Where exactly. They, they exactly. Food. It's a very nice prison, awesome. but I, I could not leave. <laughs> well, Grant, I, I want to thank you for sharing your wisdom today. And thank you for the thing that really resonated the most in the beginning. It's just, it's kind of sitting really, really well with me that you view the challenges as part of the journey and roll with it. I've got Steve Winwood, 1984 in my mind right now, roll with it, baby. You know, whenever, whenever the challenges come up. So just thank you for gracing us with your presence. We appreciate that. How can our listeners find out more about you and, and see what you're up to? Yeah, everything we do is over at thespeakerlab.com, thespeakerlab.com. So if you listen to this podcast, you probably listen to other podcasts. So definitely check out the Speaker Lab podcast. We have over 400 episodes there. So if you're interested, especially as it relates to speaking, how do you find and book gigs? What do you speak about? Who hires speakers? How much do you charge? Definitely check out the Speaker Lab podcast. We also got a, a book called The Successful Speaker. Five Steps for Booking Gigs, Getting Paid, and Building Your Platform. And actually, we're giving away free copies. And so all you got to do is pay for shipping. If you go to thespeakalab.com, you'll see a link there to get your free copy of the book. And so that walks through exactly the methodology that we teach and work with with our students and clients on how do you find a book gig. So yeah, everything we do is over at thespeakalab.com. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Grant. It's been a pleasure and privilege and I look forward to connecting next time. Thanks, brother. Thanks, man. Thanks for listening to the Eternal Optimist podcast. You can check the show notes for information about today's episode. And please share the show with that friend who is wanting to think bigger. We'll see you next time.